Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of, the, of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the elders here at Christ City Kits, and it's my honor to uh, be able to bring God's word to you this morning. Before we start, let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, I need your help. We need your help. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that as we look into your word this morning, that as we think of your story throughout history, that it would land on our hearts. We would, we would recognize that we need you, that you are God. May we be moved to, to worship you, to praise you, and to recognize that you are, uh, you are Emmanuel. You are, as we sang this morning, a God who sends his son Jesus to walk alongside us, to redeem us, that we might have a relationship with you. Please be with me as I, as I preach, that I would say exactly the words that you would want to be said, in the manner that you would want it to be said. That um, these words would, would be inspired by your spirit and would, would land on our hearts, that would be applicable to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are wrapping up our Advent series. And with that, I've been assigned the task of expounding on these last of the three responses in Luke's narrative concerning Jesus' birth. Recall that the first week of the series, in the Advent series, we've been studying Jesus' birth. Uh, and in the subsequent two weeks, we looked at the responses. We looked at first the shepherd's response. And then we looked at Simeon last week. And this week, we look at Anna, the prophetess. Now, it's for, at first blush, we can almost miss this response. I mean, it only accounts for three verses. She is rarely mentioned in any of the Hallmark Christmas movies. In fact, I don't even recall studying her in Sunday school. Quite frankly, she's often overshadowed by the responses of the shepherds and Simeon. But the more I've been studying this passage, the more I've come to realize and appreciate the genius uh, that is in Luke's account. Not only does Luke balance presenting both an account of a man and a woman, and not only does he seek to highlight characters of all walks of life, Luke is helping his reader see more clearly how the individual stories of people fit into God's greater narrative. And that is my overarching aim this morning for you. 
to exhort you to see how your story fits into God's greater narrative. You see, the Bible presents one coherent story, God's story, His story, history. And its plotline can be summarized as a a four-act play, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Very quickly, act one, creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created man, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Act two, the fall of man. In Genesis 3, we read of Adam and Eve committing the first sin. Sin is introduced into the world. And in that sin, both Adam and Eve are alienated from God. They are, they, they, in fact, they hide from God. Genesis 1, 9 through 10. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Because of sin, we are at enmity with God. You and I fall short of God's perfect, holy, righteous standard outlined in the law. Sin has terrible consequences. You, you just have to flip a few pages later after the fall and you find the Bible's first, history's first murder. That evil would perpetuate even until this day. Just last week, we heard of a, a homicide here in Kitsilano at Tatlow Park. The consequences of sin were, would perpetuate, but even amidst this Bad news. God promised that one day a Messiah would come. And so enter Act 3, redemption. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. How does a loving God uh, and, and a loving God and a just God satisfy his righteousness if we are sinners? He does that by taking on the penalty for our sin. Because of the great love that he has for his people. God sent his one and only son into the world to live a perfect, obedient life. He would be murdered, nailed to the cross, but God would then turn that most evil act, the most evil act ever in the history of mankind, he would turn that evil act on its head and he would use it for good he would use it to redeem all of humanity. On the third day, Jesus rose again so that whoever would believe in him would have their sins paid for through the blood shed on the cross. And in exchange, the sinner 
would receive Jesus' perfect righteousness. They would be justified through faith because of his righteousness. Paul writes of this great exchange in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're flying pretty quick. Now, within this grand meta-narrative, this grand meta-narrative, there are two, shall we say, overlapping dramas. The first is the account of God's people, God's chosen people. And the second is the account of the coming of Jesus and God establishing his church. And in the first, we see time and time again the stubbornness, the unfaithfulness, the inequity of God's people. And it's juxtaposed against the righteous, yet merciful, slow to anger, compassion of our God. And in this plot, in this plot, we also see the promise of redemption to come. There is the prophecy of a Messiah that will one day redeem Israel, that will bring about comfort of consolation. We read about this last week in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 2. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And in the second major drama, we see the gospel go forth from Jerusalem to all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, as it says in Acts. God is calling a people for himself. He is establishing his church, which includes both Jews and Gentiles. And in fact, we today here in this room have much to be thankful for, for this second part of the drama, because we are people living in this second part of the drama. And within these two overlapping dramas, shall we say, there is an overlap. And the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus is this overlap. You may recall last week we read from Luke chapter 2, verses 31 through 32, where Simeon says, as he beheld Jesus, he says, God has prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So, the Bible has this grand meta-narrative, and within that, two overlapping dramas, of which Luke 2 describes a time right in the middle of the overlap. And within that, we see the individual narratives of how God has called characters like Simeon like Mary, like Joseph, and like Anna, to very specific roles. These individual stories flesh out the details of the bigger story. Last Monday, uh, maybe we can have the slide here, my CG hosted our last meeting before Christmas, and meant to be a fellowship time, we split into teams for a gingerbread-making contest. Each team was tasked with making an artistic creation out of graham crackers of icing sugar and candy. And then pictures were sent uh, to Brent, who is not in our group, 
Uh, but who was to play judge? Now, of course, each team had created structures out of crackers and icing sugar, but really it was the candy that made the details. That marshmallow, that orange skittle, placed in just the right place, fleshes out the details of the structure. And while you may have a beautiful marshmallow or a beautiful gummy bear, that in itself does not a gingerbread house make. Now, I can tell you, as one who's on the winning team, only when the candy is functioning in a full place, responding to the hands of its art creator, can we then create the winning entry. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, uh, that is how we ought to look at today's passage as well. We must see it, yes, for the beauty of the character itself, but also for the beauty of how Anna contributes to the whole. And we can learn from, from it both in the joy of living the Christian life as one who is under his care of using uh, uh, Anna as, say, an example, but also as one who is part of this grand narrative of history. And so we're going to look at this, these short three verses uh, with three points. Number one, we'll look at who was Anna. And number two, we'll look at how did she respond. And then number three, we're going to talk about the grander narrative and how must we respond. Who was Anna? How did she respond? The grander narrative and how must we respond? So, who was Anna? Well, we learn from verse 36 that she was a prophetess. And as a prophetess, she would have recognized the child being presented at the temple. You, you might remember in a few verses back that, that, that Mary and Joseph presented Jesus at the temple. And Simeon was the first to respond. And so, as a prophetess, she would have recognized this child being presented at the temple and his salvific role. Prophets, you see, were to proclaim truth, to be the mouthpiece of God. A false prophet would be identified by, well, someone whose prophecies did not come true. And so this is the moment for Anna. This is the moment for Anna when what she had been prophesying about, indeed what all the prophets in the Old Testament had been prophesying about came true. You've got to put yourself in her shoes for a, min for a minute. When all your life you've been talking about this Messiah and the Messiah walks through the door. Think about that for a second. Second, we learn that she is a daughter of Phanel from the tribe of Asher. This would have been significant, likely to Luke's original readers, not only for the affirmation of her Jewishness, but also likely to lend credibility to his account. People would have likely known who Phanel was. Obviously, we probably don't. Uh, but also interestingly, in tradition, the tribe of Asher was purportedly known for its beautiful women, fit to be wedded to a high priest or king. So perhaps there's some symbolic um, reference in there as well. The third thing that we learn about Anna is her age and experience. Luke makes a point of describing Anna as a person who was once single, a virgin, 
then married for seven years, who then outlived her husband by many, many years after that. It says, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. Or, depending on how you read the original text, as a widow for 84 years, which factoring in that most women married around age 13 or 14 back then uh, would put her at the grand old age of 105. Now, whichever way, 84 or 105, she was most definitely a senior citizen. And she had been waiting for Jesus all her life. And yet Luke tells us that Anna was no idle person. Rather, she was content to carry out the responsibilities that God had placed on her. She carried them out full steam, even late into her years. Clearly, she was the the picture of a faithful, of a steadfast, of a consistent servant to the Lord. The latter part of verse 37 says that she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She was an intercessor, spent the days in the presence of her God, fasting, worshiping, interceding in prayer. And you get the sense that she really enjoyed doing that. She loved it. In fact, she exemplified what the psalmist in Psalm 84 sang. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Much later, the early church father, Cyprian, would use Anna as an example of the perseverance that we ought to keep in prayer. He writes this, Those of us who are in Christ that is in the light should not cease from prayer even at night. Thus Anna, a widow, persevered without interruption, constant in prayer and pleasing God in keeping vigil. Now, this example of Anna really ought to provoke in us some serious thought, some serious reflection. First, her example of faithful, consistent prayer ought to give us pause about our own prayer life. Do we prayerfully submit everything in our life to him? Do our hearts desire a day in the Lord's courts above everything else? Do we desire to commune with the Lord in every moment of our lives? Second, the very fact that Luke would include two elderly people, Simeon and Anna, in this narrative, demonstrates that God uses everybody, even the elderly, in this story. And I think the practical implication for us is that it's never too late for God to minister to us, nor is it too late for you to minister for Him. And if I may just pause at this moment and speak 
a brief pastoral word to the slightly older crowd uh, here at Christ City Kids. First, an encouragement. I think the older people in this church need to hear that you are needed at Christ City Kits. You are needed at Christ City Kits. We may look like a young people's church on the outside, but no, you are needed. You see, young people love not just to hear and need to hear of your lived experiences, but of the ever-increasing faith and glory of Jesus in you now. They need to see what it looks like to live as an older person who has, who has the Holy Spirit indwelt in them, who has the glory of Jesus shining, reflecting off of them. They need to see that as you live your present day life now. Second, let me also exhort those seniors who may be a bit wary, beat down. Let me say this, don't let the mistakes or the regrets of the past hold you back from what God is calling you to do in the present. You know, as we get older, Regret and suffering is inevitable. I'm only in my mid-age, mid and uh, I already see that. But God is able to redeem even your past, hurt, suffering, and all for his glory. Anna, Anna here, could have given up after her husband died. Instead, her faithful service became this beautiful picture of contentment, no matter the age. You see, contentment doesn't come from youth. It doesn't come from the energy that comes with youth, nor does it come with the accumulation of wealth. Rather, contentment is defined by an openness to serve God and to share Him with others. Two more contemporary examples stick in my head of, of this dynamic. The first is of an usher, a very old, white-haired lady that I once met outside an Alliance church in Los Angeles. Karen and I were much younger then. We were visiting that Sunday, and she greeted us. And as soon as she discovered that we were believers, she gave us these great, big hugs and welcomed us as brother and sister, as if we were family, as if she had known us for years. And you see, she was overjoyed because she found fellow believers who were just as excited about Jesus as her. And we were encouraged by her joyful, exuberant service, even at such an age. The second example is of a group that while we affectionately call here in this church the praying princesses. These senior ladies were all part, or are, are, are all present tense, all part of the mature Sunday school class at First Baptist in Garland, Texas. And on their first trip to Vancouver in the early 2000s, 
they were so moved by the Spirit to pray for Vancouver and to pray for our little church, the precursor to Christ City Kids called The Bridge, that they committed to praying every one to two weeks for us by name. In fact, the very first time I met them, they greeted me by name. I hadn't met them yet. (laughs) They had already been praying for me and my family. And up until COVID, that's 2020, (laughs) they visited every single year and would meet with the many people that they prayed for. They continue to pray for you, Christ City Kids, by name. That means, Barb, they've prayed for your wound care. They've given praise that that you no longer have to go to wound care. It means, Parker, they've prayed for your grandmother and your, your studies. Irene, they've praised God for your new job. Alicia, they've praised, uh, they've, they've, they've prayed rather for your discernment decision. Ryan, they've prayed for your growth in Christ. Just last week, the story of Anna, and indeed some of the examples that I have just illustrated, it ought to cause us to reflect. What are you doing to serve the Lord? In the near future, Christ City Kits will be taking steps toward a new diaconate ministry, deacons. And so it is an appropriate time to take stock of such questions. What are you doing to serve the Lord? For some of you, the call to service isn't what you need to reflect on, but rather contentment. Are we content in our present day service to the Lord? How are we faithfully at work doing what the Lord has called us to do today? Is the Lord working in us, causing us to be more joyful even as we age? These examples, they they help highlight the contrast between a faithful servant against some of our cultural norms. Christians ought to rightly question the cultural norms of notions like retirement and contentment. And Anna certainly highlights for us a biblical example that we can look at. Yet, the exemplary character of Anna isn't the only thing that we can learn. We can also learn from the way that Anna responded. So, my second point, how did she respond? How did she respond? Well, first, she responded in faith. She responded in faith. What does faith look like, you might ask? Well, faith is believing in what is true and acting accordingly. Faith is believing in what is true and acting accordingly. She knew that the Messiah was coming. And she knew that being in the presence of the Lord surpassed anything else. And so she responded to the responsibilities that God gave her, and she carried them out joyfully. That's responding in faith. Second, she responded by being on the lookout for what she had faith in. 
she responded by being on the lookout for what she had faith in. In other words, her acts of prayer, of fasting, of worship, they weren't just duty. She wasn't just carrying out some ritual, nor was it even just faint hope. It was an active faith that was always on the lookout. When Jesus came into the temple, when it was that hour, as Luke says, Anna knew her faith had turned to sight. To see Jesus was to see God's revelation and God's salvation. And how did she respond? She began to give thanks to God, as it says, and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Does your faith look like that? When your faith turns to sight, will you recognize Jesus? It's actually a very profound question. Think about it again. When your faith, whatever you're believing is true, when it turns to sight, will you recognize Jesus? Obviously, we don't live in Anna's time. Jesus has already come. Jesus has already ascended. <laughs> but in this age, he has established his church, the body of Christ. And if you look carefully enough, you can see reflections of Jesus at work here in the present through the members of this church, his people, because, not because we're nice people getting nicer, but because the spirit of Christ is at work in your hearts. He dwells among his people. Does your faith enable you to see to receive grace from others in this church as the very hands and feet of him. And how are you proclaiming Christ and being a means of Christ, being the presence of Christ to all who need him? That's the present day kind of um, application. But of course, our faith is not just in the present. It is also, also future-oriented. And so enter in Act 4, Act 4 of God's greater meta-narrative, God's story. Act 4 is consummation. One day, Jesus will return. One day, our faith will turn to sight. We will be with him forever. Which brings me to the third way that Anna responded and the last point in my sermon, the grander narrative and how we must respond. You see, Anna knew that she was part of a grander narrative. In fact, I suspect that part of the reason that Luke only devoted three verses to Anna was because she and Luke knew this full well. A life lived faithfully doesn't need many verses. You see, God is the hero of this story. God is the hero of this narrative. And while the summary version of Anna's life fleshed out the picture, it was uh, the marshmallow, <laughs> 
It is the very fact that Anna knew that she was part of this grander narrative, this bigger gingerbread house, that ought to give us the most prominent application. And we must remember that we are part of God's narrative, not the other way around. In discipleship and counseling, so often I hear of people trying to fit God into their narratives. How do I fit God into my narrative? And here Anna shows that that's completely backwards. That's completely upside down. And so let me ask you, are you trying in vain to fit God's narrative into your narrative? Or are you recognizing God's narrative and responding to him in faith? How are you submitting your life to God, knowing that you are part of his narrative? We're uh, here in the last week of Advent, and the next time we get together, we will be celebrating and remembering his birth. But though the Advent that Luke describes has passed, we live in a time of another Advent, of waiting and anticipation, not the redemption of Jerusalem, but of the consummation of the new Jerusalem. We will one day, like Anna, be in his courts day and night, and we will sing as John pens in Revelation, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We will be there day and night worshiping the holy God. And at this time, when our faith turns to sight, we will also recognize the words of Revelation 21. Permit me to end with these glorious words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, 
As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see, my friends, the grand history of God leaves no room for another. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. These Greek letters are not just COVID variants. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the A to Z. It is not just a challenge, but it is a call to life versus death. And may the example of Anna inspire us to choose life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these narratives. We thank you that in the Bible, we do not just read of abstract theological truths, but we see the very lives of people lived out, even in summary fashion. Father, thank you for the example of Anna and, and the details that it plays, not only in the in the narrative of your birth, but also in the grander narrative. May we be a people that seeks to live faithfully, steadfastly, by your grace, in your narrative today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.